You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. You know, I was talking to a a friend of mine who uh, worships here with us yesterday, and one of the things we were talking about was how our worship is embodied. And one of the great examples of that is what you all just did, right? That moment in our service where we stand up and we greet one another, and we're doing that with our our whole bodies. And it's really... um, we're, we're communicating something true about the, the community of faith, that we're brothers and sisters, and how we long to be welcomed, and how we long to speak to others the peace of Christ and receive that from others. So I know sometimes it can feel awkward, but what you're doing in those moments is good for you, and it's good for us together. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, last week, I introduced... Uh, a new sermon series. So here at City Church for the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to be looking at the beginning of the book of Exodus. And I introduced the book of Exodus for us last week by saying that it's a rescue story. And that's important. That's going to be a theme that guides us as we work our our way through these first six chapters. And uh, one of the things I did last week was I, I, told, I told a story of rescue, and I asked you to share your stories of rescue with me. And I'm thankful that a few of you uh, during the week either mentioned to me uh, a story of rescue that came to your mind, or you sent me a text. Um, Val, our administrator, of course, hit the jackpot because she sent me, she knows I love podcasts, she sent me a podcast about the rescue of baby Jessica, which I referenced in the sermon last week. So if you're interested in that, talk to Val or talk to me, and uh, you can learn a lot more details about that particular rescue. You know, when it comes to rescue, there are these certain big, well-known, sort of famous rescues that can grip the attention of the nation, or at times even grip the attention of the world. And there are also the rescues that very, pe- very few people know about, the rescues that are important to us personally, right? Our stories of rescue. And uh, I was reminded this week of a particular personal story of rescue that doesn't involve me, but it involves my wife, Sarah. And it comes from a time when she was in grade school and she was a part of the swim team at the, you know, the, the, the swim and tennis club in her neighborhood. And as most swim teams do, after practice, they were playing uh, sharks and minnows in the diving well. And during this rather intense game of sharks and minnows, she was swimming along and someone jumped on top of her, jumped on her head. And in that moment, she was knocked out. And she started sinking to the bottom of the pool. And other people were oblivious to this. They're playing sharks and minnows, trying to get to the other side. They thought this was some like advanced tactic where she was holding her breath for a long time and going down to the very bottom of the diving well. Fortunately for her, the swim coach noticed what was happening and dove in, dragged her unconscious body up to the edge of the pool, and she recovered, obviously. 
Um, but that's a story of rescue, right? And it has, uh, it has affected her in different ways. She told me she, you know, she, that's why she never wanted our kids to play sharks and minnows, because she had this experience of being knocked unconscious, uh, dropping down to the bottom of the pool and having to be drawn out of the pool by the coach who fortunately recognized what was going on. And I share that story with you because I think it is, uh, again, powerfully resonant for all of us. Because all of us can identify with rescue. And we can identify, too, with the sense of places in our lives, times in our lives when we were drowning. And, and you know how we use that phrase? Um, we use it metaphorically as well as literally, right? I'm drowning right now in work in stress, in responsibility. I'm drowning right now in the anxiety that I feel. And I think it's a good place to start because I want you to think about the places in your life where either right now or maybe at a time in the past you felt that way. And where did you turn to be drawn out of that feeling of drowning? We're going to talk about that a little bit more today as we work through this passage but before we go any further, let's read from Scripture. Let's read this uh, story of Exodus. And today I'm going to read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is God's Word for us. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it now and follow along as I read. Or uh, if you want to use your phone, or you're welcome to use the worship guide as well, where these words are printed. This is God's Word that He's given to us to help us and to teach us. Here's what it says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge today that just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so too your word comes down to us and waters our lives, our hearts. We ask now that uh, the rain of your word would produce fruit in our lives because the grass fades and the flower withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We pray this all through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 
If you were here with us last week, we looked at all of Exodus chapter 1. And it's, uh, it's a chapter full of heavy burdens, especially for the people of God. And it ends on a particularly dire note. The last verse of chapter 1 says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. It's this dire note of uh, state-sanctioned genocide, that all the sons of the Hebrews would be cast into the Nile and done away with. And, uh, you know, we tend to have this notion around water as being kind of restful and restorative. But in the ancient Near East, water was much more a symbol of trouble, of chaos, of destruction, of death even. And so it is here, the beginning of the Exodus story, that the Nile River portends danger for Israel, not rest and relaxation. So the end of chapter 1 comes and we learn that the fate for any son born to the Hebrews is not good. And then chapter 2 begins. And do you notice what note it strikes? It starts with the birth of a Hebrew son. A man from the house of Levi and his wife have a son. You know, when I was in high school for a project in social studies, I... Um, we, had a, we, we could choose what we wanted to do, and so I decided to write uh, a series of historical raps. Yeah, that's right. And one of them was about Moses, in fact. And I don't remember a whole lot of these raps, but I do remember the start of my Moses rap. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a choice. I need to get the beat a little bit. It went like this. Many years ago in Egyptian land, a Levite had his wife in among the sand. She swelled real fat, a son in her womb, but when he popped out, an awful fate did loom. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's, I think that deserves applause. Um, I mean, less for the actual content of the rap and more for the fact that I did that just now. But high school me was on to something. When Moses was born, an awful fate did loom. And that's the point. That's what we're supposed to understand here at the start of Exodus 2. The command that had come down from the royal palace, the empire of Egypt, one of the most powerful empires in the ancient world, had said that sons should be cast into the river and killed. And, and, and so right off the bat, we know we're poised for this longing for rescue. What's going to happen to this son born to a Levite and his wife? Well, what we have in the, in the following verses is we, we have the beginning of God's rescue. And in telling the birth story of Moses, we're also uh, getting insight into how God is going to rescue his people. And, and the way that I want to explain that and talk about that, what I want you to see is that this rescue is hinted at by three daughters and a drawn-out son. And so I want to work through this passage by talking about these three daughters and a drawn-out son. 
Last week, again, if you were with us, in chapter 1, there were these two faithful midwives with funny names. But the author of Exodus was highlighting the role that ordinary women played in the rescue of God, and it continues into chapter 2. We have three daughters who are mentioned. The first daughter is... um, The first daughter is Levi's daughter, right? We're told that a man from the house of Levi and his wife, who's also a Levite, Levi's daughter is the first one we meet in verse 1. And this is Moses' mother. Moses' mother. Later in Exodus, we'll learn what her name is. It's Jochebed is her name. It's a funny name. It's a Hebrew name. But Jochebed is Levi's daughter. And she represents for us, I think, what she represents for us is faith. The first daughter that we see. Why do I say that? Well, you know, her first act after she has this child, she she knows the pronouncement that he's supposed to be thrown into the river. She keeps him hidden for three months. And then she decides to put him in this little boat and cast him into the Nile. So in a way, she's being faithful to the command, right? Every Hebrew son is to be cast into the river. But she puts him in a boat. And I think on first reading, maybe as I read through that, it looks like an act of desperation, doesn't it? I don't know what else to do. My three-month-old, I'm going to put him into the river. But as we look closer and as we understand some of the clues from this passage, we see that what Jochebed does here is actually a profound act of faith. Because sometimes the most faithful thing that a mother can do is let her child go. Let her child go into the greater and more gracious hands of God. You know, some of you need to hear that. I need to hear that. Because this fall, this year, has been an example of that for Sarah and me. Right? As we have let go of our son, sending him off to college, and saying, we trust you into the hands of God. And those of you who are parents know that this day comes well before our kids turn 18. It comes, too, when our kids are in grade school and are crying in the hallway because they don't want to go into their teacher's classroom. And we are letting them go, entrusting them into the hands of God. That's what Jochebed is doing here. What looks like desperation is actually an act of faith. And here are a couple clues in the passage that show us that. The first comes in verse 3 where it says she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Now, this word basket, the Hebrew word there, is the same word as ark. And it's allusion, it's an echo back to Genesis 6, where Noah was told by God to build an ark. And he was told, in fact, to cover the outside with pitch so that it, would be, uh, it, it wouldn't take on water, right? So it, what the author of Exodus is telling us here is that Jochebed, this faithful Israelite, is casting her son Moses into the waters of destruction, but she's doing it in an ark because she's remembering 
what God had done in the past, and the way that he had preserved Noah and his family, the way that God had preserved his people through an ark. It's an intentional echo that's meant to see God's gracious provision. Here's the second clue. It comes in the verse before that. It says in verse 2, She conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child. Now that word fine, it could also be translated handsome. It's a Hebrew word tov, which means good. It actually is the same word that appeared in the New Testament reading that Grant read for us, that um, Moses was a handsome child. But really and literally it means good. Well, why does that matter? Because again, it's an allusion to the book of Genesis. Because in the book of Genesis, when God creates the whole world and when he creates people, do you remember what God said at the end of his creation? He said, and it was very good. It's the same word. It's the same Hebrew word. So here again, uh, the, the, uh, Moses, the author of this book, is trying to connect the dots for us. He's saying that Moses hearkens back to Adam and Eve. The first people, God's people, God's people that he had a plan for. So Moses is like a new Adam. He too is good, a good son of the heavenly father. And in the same way that God was faithful in the past, he is going to be faithful to Moses as well. It looks like an act of desperation, but Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, is acting in great faith. She shows what, it's look like, what it looks like for us to believe that there is a way, even when it looks like there is no way. That's the first daughter in Exodus 2. The second daughter in Exodus 2 is Jochebed's daughter. And her name, we'll find out later, is Miriam. We're introduced to her uh, rather quickly in verse 4. Look again here at verse 4, and it says, And his sister, that's Moses' sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So again, imagine this scene. Jochebed, an act of desperation that's twinned with faith, puts her son in this little raft and sends him out in the water, and it's as though she can hardly bear to look. And so she sends her daughter, Moses' sister, and says, hey, will you go watch and tell me what happens? I'm so afraid. And Miriam, who is likely a a young girl, maybe six, maybe eight years old at this time. I know some of you children who are in here are around the age of Miriam. She goes and she does what her mother has asked her to do. And so she becomes a signal to us here in Exodus 2 of obedience, of brave obedience. Here, the daughter of Jochebed bravely obeying what her mom has asked her to do, walking down to the riverside to keep an eye on her baby brother. And it's a sign to us, it's a signal to us that however small you are, however insignificant you feel you are, you can play a part in God's rescue. I want you to put a pin in Miriam. Not literally, just hang on to her, right? Jochebed's daughter. We're going to come back to her in a second. But we need to meet the third daughter in this passage first. And the third daughter, of course, is Pharaoh's daughter. We meet Pharaoh's daughter in verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. 
And at this point, we don't really know what's going to happen. We know that Pharaoh is everything that represents evil. He's the one who's given this command that all the sons of the Israelites be killed. And now one day, the same day little baby Moses is placed in a raft in the river, Pharaoh's daughter comes walking down to the river. And the way the story is told is building the suspense, isn't it? She saw the basket among the reeds. She sent her servant women and they took it. She opened it. She saw the child. Behold, the child was crying. And we wonder, what is, his, what is her response going to be? Is she going to execute the royal edict that these boys would be cast into the Nile or will she respond differently? And we're told in verse 6 what her response is. And it's the hinge of the whole story. She took pity on him. Pharaoh's daughter is the daughter who represents compassion. The compassion of God, human compassion for another life made in the image of God. We don't know as we're poised in reading through this story, what will the response be? And it's pity. It's love, it's mercy, it's grace. It says in verse 5 and 6 that she saw, she heard the cries, and she responded with compassion. And I want you to hold on to that truth too, that little phrase of seeing, of hearing the cries, and responding with compassion. Because Pharaoh's daughter in this moment is offering us a glimpse of God himself. The one who hears and sees and has compassion on us. And I realize this is, can be troubling for some of you. This can be confusing because this is an Egyptian. This is an outsider to the people of God. But what Pharaoh's daughter represents for us is what theologians call common grace. She is not a worshiper of Yahweh and yet she understands and she embodies and lives out a truth that's woven into the fabric of the universe. Grace and compassion. Some commentators will call this scene the parable of the good Egyptian. Similar to what Jesus will teach later as the parable of the good Samaritan. She who was raised in the house that gave an edict of death becomes an agent of life for Moses. An agent of his rescue signaling to us the ways that Moses himself will become an agent of rescue for many others. Now I want to return to our second daughter, right? I want to return to Jochebed's daughter, Miriam. Because after Pharaoh's daughter discovers this baby in the bulrushes, she reappears in verse 7. And here's what it says. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Remember, just a young girl bravely steps forward and says, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? It's faithfulness. It's her act of brave faithfulness that she steps into this moment. She must be overjoyed to know that her brother has been rescued from his basket and, and uh, taken into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. And she pipes up with this idea, hey, let me go get my mom and Moses' mom, and she can become the nurse. 
Pharaoh's daughter goes along with this idea. And so Moses is restored to his mother. Her act of desperation has become this great act of faith that God has honored. And for the next three years, likely, Moses is is, uh, uh, nursed by his mother. And only once he's weaned is he returned to the house of Pharaoh, to Pharaoh's daughter. We see a picture of great faithfulness from Miriam. And, And when we put these together, the faithfulness of Miriam with the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, we begin to see the provision of God, the way that he is going to work his rescue. I mean, essentially, Moses' mother uh, gets subsidized maternity leave for three years. She's even paid for doing what she would have gladly done for free. Such is the plan, the mysterious plan of God. And then Moses, this Hebrew son, is brought into the royal palace and becomes an adopted son. So he becomes a prince of Egypt. And suddenly, we begin to see how God is orchestrating a rescue for Moses and for his people. And it happens through the simple faithfulness, the everyday bravery of Miriam, of Jochebed's daughter. All right, so I've talked about these three daughters. Let me end today by talking about the drawn-out son. And obviously, the son in this passage is Moses. That's who we're being introduced to. In every rescue story, at some point in that story, we're introduced to the hero. And Moses will be the hero of Exodus. We see that in verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now this name Moses, I want to stop and explain a little bit about what it means. It's actually, um, it's a word, it's a name that can have a derivation that is either Egyptian or Hebrew. And the Egyptian word that corresponds to Moses is son. It shows up commonly in Egyptian history. And it makes sense, right, that Pharaoh's daughter would name Moses son because it's this adopted son that she found in the river. And that is uh, a foreshadow of who Moses will be, not only a son of Pharaoh, but he will uh, fulfill this role as God's son, his chosen one to save the people. Now the Hebrew meaning of the word Moses, we're told in verse 10, it means to draw out. And there's, there's some debate, there's confusion about, is this an Egyptian word, is it a Hebrew word? Why not both, right? Both make sense in this passage. And so Moses is named because he was drawn out of the water. But Moses was also named to draw out, not just because of the nature of his birth, but because of the nature of what his life would be. He would go on to be the rescuer. He would go on to be the man who would draw all of Israel out of Egypt. In his birth story are these breadcrumbs, are these Easter eggs, right? of who Moses will be. It's a sign to us, this birth narrative, that what looks like certain death can yet still lead to life. When all hope is lost, 
when an awful fate looms, still God can rescue. Now there's one last step we need to take. We've talked about the ways that Moses' birth foreshadows who Moses will be. But Moses' introduction to us here in Exodus 2 also foreshadows what Jesus will do. What one who is far better even than Moses the rescuer, what he will do, in fact, for us, what he has done. You see, Jesus was another son of the Hebrews. Born into a context where a royal decree went out that said all the boys should be killed. It was King Herod. You might remember that story from Christmas time. Threatened by a tyrannical king, sounds like Moses. Even in the story of Jesus too, Mary and Joseph, his parents, take him down to Egypt. So he himself is drawn out of Egypt when the coast is clear, when Herod is no longer in power, when the, the threat against his life is gone. He himself is drawn out of Egypt like Moses before him. And Jesus, too, was placed in a wooden ark. His was not a boat. His was a cross. But it was a wooden boat that Jesus was on, surrounded by danger, in judgment, in the shadow of death. The only difference for Jesus is that his ark, he wasn't pulled off of or drawn out of. He went all the way into the judgment and the death for us, as our substitute. But in so doing, he fulfilled what Moses showed us only in part. You know, the New Testament authors, and we'll talk about this more over the upcoming weeks, but the New Testament authors pick up on this connection and they talk about it in some different places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is reflecting on Moses and he says this, he says, our fathers passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses. In the same way that Moses was placed into water in this little raft, that was his sort of baptism that foreshadowed the way that he would draw all the people of Israel out through the Red Sea. And they were baptized with him. Well, Paul also says about us, he says that we, right, our fathers were baptized into Moses. We have been baptized into Christ. says this in Romans 6. And we have been baptized into Christ specifically through his death, through his ark, through his cross. And what Jesus did was he draws us through, not the Red Sea, but the sea of God's judgment against sin. And because he was our substitute, because he bore that judgment on himself, because he endured the chaos of the cross for us, we can live and go free. So all of this from Exodus 2, this introductory story, telling us who the hero is going to be. But the point, the punchline, the, the message that we're supposed to take away is that when life is perilous, when it looks as if there is no hope, 
when we feel as though we are drowning, God's grace still abounds. God's grace still abounds. And it comes often in surprising places. Might we have eyes to see the three daughters of grace and rescue in our lives? God's agents of grace, a daughter of faith, a daughter of compassion, a daughter of faithful obedience. And when we feel as though we're drowning, we don't know which way is up or which way is down, may we have eyes to see and remember the drawn-out son. Moses, yes, but even more so the one to whom Moses points, Jesus, our Savior, the one who wherever you are today will draw you out of drowning. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the richness of your word and the ways that as you wrote it, you wrote it for our good. First, to help us know that we're not alone in what we're feeling, in the hopelessness and despair, in the ways that we're afraid and scared, but even more so, the way that you've written it to assure us of a rescue, a rescue that comes to us through Jesus, who assures us that even when it doesn't look like there's a way, your love will make a way. Help to apply this truth to our hearts and minds today. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.